Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. This is Steve. I'm being joined soon with Jeff Bowens from the Classic Cars Club Podcast. Just to remind everybody, the Diecast Podcast, we do usually two different types of main episodes. One of them is interviews, where we get to interview different celebrities. And the other one is movies, decided where the genre is decided by the role of a die, like this one is. And I was meeting was talking with Jeff recently when we did a little episode for Monster Kid Radio where we talked about I Married a Witch, which you can go over to Monster Kid Radio's feed and listen to that. And I say, hey, Jeff, do you want to do my show? Got the dice out, rolled. We rolled Family and Farn, and Jeff picked a Farn movie, and he picked Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. And before we get into the movie, Jeff, how you doing, and how's the Classic Cars Club podcast doing? I am doing fine, and it is doing well. We recorded our new episode yesterday. It will be dropping on December 12th. We talked about the films of Val Luton, and particularly two that aren't talked about very much, The Leopard Man and The Curse of the Cat People. And I just have to say, it's one of the most enjoyable episodes we've done because watching those movies again that I didn't particularly like in the past, my eyes were opened this time, and... They are amazing, and I want to turn right back around and watch them again. Kind of like Rare Exports. I had seen that in 2013, soon after it came out, and it was just okay. I think the hype for it was really big at that time, and I have this natural desire to sort of go against <laughs> the crowd. If everyone thinks it's great, I'm like, yeah. You know. But anyway, uh, watching it, it also was a revelation. Man, I love this movie. And sorry, I wasn't trying to make a segue, but I just wanted to make that comparison. That's all right. I'm the Leopard Man. I remember seeing that for the first time several years ago and really, really enjoying it. So it's kind of surprising when you told me the first time you didn't like it as much as this recent, more recent viewing. Where I, my first well, time I watched watching it, it with, was really good. Yeah, director William Friedkin, who filmed The Exorcist, did a commentary on it, and I I tell the story on the podcast. I kind of accidentally ended up watching it with the commentary, but it was just fascinating and to hear him talk. This is like the best movie ever made. It really inspired him. And you can really see as he goes through the commentary, what he's talking about. And that's what I mean. It makes me rethink it. And it makes me want to go back and watch it again. Well, I agree with you. It's just, it's a wonderful movie and I'm looking forward to listening to yours and Rich's feedback, which you said the episode will be coming out December 12th, which will be prior to this episode. So listeners, you can go right on to it. And do you know the episode number? 75, I believe. Oh, that's on the, oh, the happy anniversary. 75. Oh, thank you. Number. <laughs> yeah. You're closing in on 100. Next thing you know, you know you'll be right there. <laughs> well, there's a couple more years to go, but I guess we, technically we are. Well, yeah, you're working your way up. You're doing great. You and Rich do awesome work. And speaking of awesome work, some other things that people might not know that you do is you also are a writer, and you're found frequently in, if I remember correctly, We Belong Dead, besides other magazines and other books. Um, anything that's coming out recently? Yeah, so right now they are shipping chopped meat. Uh, it, I That is from a movie that I am not really – familiar with maybe people are it's a quote from from some 70s horror movie this is all about 70s horror and i have several pieces in there this is different than most because they're of varying lengths so it's a little bit more of a variety uh, and i also was in the recent issue of famous monsters their horror host issue writing about my horror host growing up count gregor in oklahoma city it's always cool for me when you get to meet your horror host because i got the luck of meeting Richard Dizel, who's Count Gordival, and interviewing him. And it, it, it makes you go back to your childhood youth. I'm sure the same thing with you. And you just it, it's just the whole time you're doing it, you're smiling on the inside and the outside, and you're just like, I can't believe I'm talking to my horror host. And whether anybody else listens to it or reads it, you don't care. It's like you're, it's like you're a boy at Christmas or on birthday opening up that gift. Yeah, and what's awesome is we've become friends. So he texts me all the time. I text him. I called him on the phone a couple times. And that's just for a monster kid that grew up with him. Like you said, that's, you know, I could meet, uh, I don't know, biggest star in the world and it wouldn't mean as much to me as, as meeting Count Gregor. Exactly. And I think that's the fun thing of doing that when you get those chances. And it's the nice thing about the opportunities that you've had and I've had where you get to 
talk to people, meet people, and and then re- write down that so other people have that to go by because not everybody's fortunate enough to do it. And who knows, 20, 30, 40 years from now, um, when everybody when people like ourselves are gone and these people are gone, they'll have that down there either orally or as you did and you done in written work and be able to look at it and go through and understand more about that person. Yeah. Now, listeners, this is like a Christmas special episode. I mean, Jeff, when Jeff wrote foreign and family, he, he's, he's leaning, he's trying to figure out one for both. And then he started to lean toward foreign and it dawned on me. Christmas was just around the corner when we were, you know, we're talking about this and I, I, I normally I don't interject ideas to the guest, I usually let them come up with it on their own or whatever. But I said to Jeff, what about, um, rare exports, you know? And, uh, and Jeff's like, Oh, well, actually you, you gave me two choices. You helped you, you suggested this or possibly troll hunter, which I both had seen. And again, I kind of had the same reaction to both of them, not particularly, but for some reason, rare exports is one I felt like I wanted to revisit because I just maybe didn't get it the first time around. So that I did pick that and at your suggestion, which I appreciate very much. Well, but it fits in with Christmas. Obviously it's, it's the whole movie is about the lead up to Christmas and this episode will be coming out prior to that. So hopefully people will seek it out. It's available easily to watch streaming wise on Tubi and stuff like that. So you can just type in a search and there's two shorts that came out a couple of years, a few years prior to it, which kind of gave the whole concept. Well, somewhat of what the movie would be about that you can readily find on YouTube. Uh, so, uh, and they're about what, seven, 10 minutes each. Yeah. One, seven, one, ten, I believe. Yeah. So it's, you put it all together. One, uh, the movie's 82 minutes long. If you watch the other two things, you're talking less than two hours of entertainment, about an hour and 40, 50 minute range. It's nice. It's sweet. Um, it's a little, expensive you try to get the blu-ray jeff just looked it up and it's like 30 dollars. so but the blu-ray does have all the shorts on and behind the scenes and we both have that on our wish list to get hopefully when the price will drop one day and pick and scoop that puppy up yes i definitely want to own it now it's uh in a way sort of just builds its own little world and especially i only learned yesterday that there were these two shorts so it's this kind of little universe of its own and it's very you know, I don't know how authentic it is. It's, it's going off of ancient legends about Father Christmas or Santa Claus, which are <laughs> foreign to me. I am not familiar with those. How do you know how accurate those are for like the original depictions of Santa Claus? I feel like they are to a certain extent, but they've been sort of exaggerated or made more horrifying for this. Yes, I'm not sure, you know, because that, that, that would be something that would take a while to do some research on. I am thinking about, you know, checking out in the library, some books on it, the local library people, they're great resources. And if they don't have the book you want, usually they can get an interlibrary loan. How do I know all this stuff? Two of my children work at the library. My wife is a high school librarian. So use the library. It's a free tool. <laughs> and you can get, and I have to say this week we were talking about a book at work and I asked the person, I said, Hey, if I buy this, you want to read it after I'm done? And she goes, well, I'm going to go to the library. And sadly that is not even any. <laughs> thing I think of these days that I absolutely should because books, movies, they've got everything now. And the, a lot of libraries participate with Canopy. I believe it's Canopy, which is a, mm. the movies. And if you have, a, all you got to do is put your library card in and then you're able to access movies for free. So, I mean, there's a lot of things out there that your public libraries are utilizing. So feel free to follow and use those tools. So I'm more inclined to believe that in rare exports, the legend of Santa Claus itself might be a little more accurate. However, would you call the old men his elves? I mean, they sort of do in the movie, but that was a totally original concept to me is that he is protected and surrounded by these older men that technically are his elves. I don't even know if they're really older men. They they look like old men. So... That would be something to be interesting to see. What is the life cycle of a father Christmas? Because that when watching the shorts and there's two shorts for people to know, one is rare experts, Inc. And I think we should talk about, we'll go in order chronologically. And that way people have a better understanding. You don't need to watch these okay. shorts, by the way, to enjoy yeah. the movie. Let listeners, you can go right to the movie as we both did originally 
and you will have perfect fun. But like I said, they, they act, they build to the mythology somewhat. And, and we'll get to why we talk about somewhat, but rare exports Inc explains the company's thing in a f- interesting way. Cause if you have a, you have the marker, the sniper and the tracker and two of these three guys are going to be in the next short and in the movie. So, and they're prominent featured in all three of these and uh, they're, they're hunting father Christmas and they're talking about, Oh, it, it, it was so great when they line up the shot and they go, and the guy pauses to wipe like a tear from his eyes. Like, Oh, 300 year old one looking at its magnificent glory. And you don't realize they're hunting father Christmas or, or right. anything like it. You think they're hunting a deer or a thing like that. And then you see a naked man running through the snow after they shoot them and, and stuff like that. And they're talking about how, how fearsome they are. And it's just, uh, I will say this. If you don't want to see naked old men, then this is just, <laughs> they really prominently feature them in the second half of this short. And they do feature um, a lot of naked old men in the movie too. Yes. What were your impressions of the, rare experts Inc? Yeah. So it's like you say, it's done like a, Oh, an industrial training video or commercial. The narration is just amazing. It's serious. And by Jonathan Hutchings, who we'll talk about in a little bit also. And it just, yeah, you think you're watching a a big game hunting video about this, you know, rare creature. And you are, but you have no idea that it's human. And then they take, and I guess I did want a little bit of clarification from you on this, Steve. So they, they clean up. The, the men that they catch, they train them and their the instinct is, I mean, they're wild creatures. So, you know, if you're not careful, they'll bite you or attack you. And so they strap them down and they train them to what? Have children sit on their laps. Is that what yeah, they train so them to be they, Christmas? Yeah. So then they ship them worldwide to different countries. And I assume that's their Santa Claus for that year. I mean, yeah, I guess I so. I don't know if it's for a year, but they, they, they talk about the one being 300 years old. So who knows how many years they can get out of this Santa Claus, as long as they store it properly. And we, we find out later in the movie, how much they're charging per, per father Christmas, uh, which right. they're not cheap, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it, it's, so it's funny. We get to see the training and everything. It's just, like you said, it is like an industrial video commercial thing for people to be like, Oh, this is what you want. This is a, these are our experienced um, trainers and hunters and marksmen. And, and you end up getting this product at the end. Yeah. And then I think it ends very similar to the movie where they slap a label on this crate and they roll it up on the the truck or the plane or something to ship it off. Uh, The second one, if, if we move on, so you're dealing with these creatures, you kind of have to have rules how to survive when you're handling with this. So the the second uh, video is oh gosh, what's it called? The, uh, official, rare the official Rare Exports Inc. Safety Instructions 2005. That's a mouthful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And there's, I think they they explicitly state five of the rules. I, I made note: no loud noises, always behave, do not smoke, do not drink alcohol. And I can't count. That's only four. Don't cuss. But that's was that one? Yeah, that's it. No cussing. Because one, one, one guy throws the alcohol down and cusses, and you see the Father Christmas burst out of the, the box. <laughs> yes. So, and then, but there's ways you can avoid this. Like, you can avoid by playing dead. And so one of them, you know, lays down, and the, the old man or the Father Christmas comes up and sniffs at him, you know. And also, and I love this in the movie, too, the gingerbread biscuits. How they can, uh, you know, they... They smell them uh, at a fair distance away, and then you can like hold them out to sort of lure them or to calm them. And but they do warn you have to be careful because they can bite your fingers uh, as they're trying to get them. So that's uh, all very cute. Now, what I like about this, and this is one thing that I think the movie is so smart about, is you don't you get mention of the rules in the movie, but we aren't like explicitly told and. It's like this is a thing that exists, and they're aware of the rules, and I think the one man kind of tells, and they may give a couple of the rules, but it's it's just like this lore or this history. We don't necessarily have to know the full details of it, but we just know it's there, and that 
adds so much more life and depth to the story because you know there's something more than just what you're seeing and you don't always have to see everything. So this is an enhancement, I think, watching the short because, oh, those are the rules. Now I understand where those came from. And I'd I really like that. And the, the, the second short, the official rare exports instructions, just to I'm not going to say the whole thing, picks up practically right where the first one left off because it's the process where they're shipping the Father Christmas out, played very well by Atso Tarkela. And this is, these names are in Finnish people. We are going to butcher these in all likelihood. If we get one right, it's, it's just like a blind squirrel finding a nut. We'd be sheer luck. <laughs> yeah, now I don't even know who you are referring to. Who are you referring to? Atso Tarkela, who played Father Christmas in both the shorts. Okay, okay, yes. And the reason I'm bringing it up because he's not in the movie itself. So that's right. why I want to make sure I give him credit um, at this point. And he does a great job, but this shows you what happens when people do not follow the rules and they show, they come up to the aftermath of that. And it's just, it's just something that's just, it's just like, Ooh, this could be really scary and that kind of thing. So you really, you, you they explain it a little bit in the first short, how they can be very strong. They could run far distances and all this stuff and they are dangerous, but then you realize, and they don't, I like, cause they don't show you the carnage. It's implied. And I think that always makes things worse in our own minds when we think about, like, what, what happened to him? And you see these people being um, slaughtered, so to speak. Um, it, it just makes you wonder. But they also introduce the boy. Ani, yes. uh, One, One Tamila, who is the son of the um, sniper, Jornima Tamila. Um, they're actually related and they, and they play father and son in the movie in the shorts that they're in together. And he is interesting because he has an interesting look to him that mm-hmm. once you see him, it's an, I think it's a, it's a, it's a distinctive look, which you don't see as much in movies nowadays. Yeah. Everyone looks kind of the same. Yeah. Well, and then that's where you get somebody like, Oh gosh. Who's the girl's name from the witch that looks different because she's got the big eyes and everything. And they really stand out because most people are pretty similar. I think that's like with like Christina, um, Richie or Ricky. Yep. She, yeah, she yep. has, she has that distinctive look and it's just, and that kind of thing going, you have that distinctive look and you have a personality that the camera just enjoys. That's when you have a star. And sometimes I get tired of what it's hard to figure out with some movies. Who's who? Because they all look the same, and they have no personality, and they all it's they all blend together. So it's nice when you have distinctive personalities and appearances and characters um, that you do with these two shorts and in the movie. But I will say this: I like how this movie sets up where it's like a father passes the, down to his son, and it's this whole thing that's been going on for generations and generations and generations. Which, when we get to the movie takes a different turn. So it's kind of like it gives you, like you said, the, the bare, the background, but then the movie does take it a different way. Yeah. It's almost like the movie's a sort of a prequel. I mean, when it starts, this organization doesn't exist. I mean, but I do have a big, well, are you ready to go on to the movie? Let's go on to the movie. I don't think the movie is a prequel as much as a reimagining because of, you got the people. Right. Because it introduces, it introduces something that shorts don't have, and that is the Santa Claus, the big Santa Claus who has been buried in a mountain. And it's a huge monster, basically. And so then these Father Christmases that you kind of think are the um, targets really sort of become secondary. I mean, the movie is more about uncovering this giant and you know, trying to stop him before he freezes out of the ice, which makes me wonder... Uh, I don't know how spoilery we were going to get, but let's just say something happens to the big main Santa Claus monster. Do the elves or the father Christmases die? And, and I don't mean in this movie, but I mean, as far as perpetuating the story of an annual hunt for these characters uh, to send out, what do you think? I don't know. And, and listeners, well, I have to warn you because what Jeff already said is a big spoiler. Um, with the father, with the big giant Santa Claus, because that doesn't come up to the very end. Oh, I'm sorry. 
That's all right. I'm just letting people know that. Well, no, 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 you know. No, you you don't think you don't think there's a big giant one until the end. You think that the one they're dealing with That's is. True. Um, so yes, we've already hit spoiler territory. So we're in spoiler mode. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It, 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 it's, it's one of those things. We can't help it because it's something that we enjoyed so much that sometimes we, well, and we, I have to talk about that. I've got another point on that to make, but yet, yeah, no, that's very clever too, because they find one of the old men and one of the father Christmases. And you think that's it. You think that's the one that they've uncovered. And, uh, through a very clever, I thought, uh, that reveals no, that's not, that's just one of his, I keep saying elves. I swear they called them elves, they but did. they call them elves and it, they're listed in the credits as elves. Okay. According to Wikipedia, but, I'm, I, you know, I should say the Wikipedia list them as elves. So it's, we'll go with well, that. Wikipedia, no. but the, the thing about, and I think this is why I didn't like it the first time. Now that we've mentioned the giant Santa Claus, you sort of think it's building to him breaking out and going on a rampage and, and if that's what you're expecting, you're going to be disappointed because you never really do see him in action. And I, I really appreciated that the second time around it because, yeah, that's sort of what it's about. But that builds the tension. And especially after watching these Val Luton movies, it's all about building tension and not necessarily paying off. Well, that's exactly what this does. So you never really see. So, but the suspense is there like, Oh, he's going to break out. He's going to melt. He's going to do this, whether he does it or not. And then the, the elves really are the focus and they're a threat in and of themselves enough, you know? Uh, so I think it's very smart. It's sort of subtle. I mean, we never get that like big action payoff. Although I, I don't know that end is very exciting with the helicopter and uh, the net and you know all of that um so it's not, definitely not yeah it's definitely not boring um i like the build up throughout the whole movie because this movie is a could be labeled many different genres it could be labeled a horror film a comedy a drama <laughs> uh so there's a, an action movie it's it, it's pretty much a hodgepodge of all of these put into a blender and it works for me, both times I've seen it very well because I saw it the first time like a year or two ago, and I just enjoy it for what it is. And it, it's you know, Rare Exports, a Christmas tale. So it's taking place the twenty four days leading up to Christmas, or twenty five days if you count Christmas Day itself. So it's and that's to add suspense in itself because you're counting down so many days to Christmas, so many days. So you're building to something, right? Yes, and you have these people that are drilling. And they find something and they find wood and they're finding things. It's like, Oh, I found, I've been looking for this since I was a boy, you know, and part of it's in English. Most of it is in Finnish, but they have subtitles. So it's not that bad. It's, it's, it's pretty easy to follow along. And there's good stretches where it's just body language and emotion going on. And one of the things I thought that was for me, the best scenes, I don't know if this was for you, but I a lot of times get drawn to the quieter moments. And when the reindeer that these hunters were supposed to were slaughtered. And so basically the, the, this whole town might starve over the winter because they, they were counting on this to have meat for their freezers and they're all slaughtered and all this stuff. And the father um, played, you know, again, the father and his son or his father and son, uh, him having Christmas, Eve gingerbread with his son and their whole interaction. And you find out that the mom must've passed away prior. And he thanks his dad for making the recipe just like mom. And he goes, thank you. I appreciate it. And you can just see, he's just like holidays. You always think about your loved ones that are gone. He's trying to probably think, how am I going to supply ourselves with food and financially support ourselves through the winter into the coming year when our our main crop of reindeer meat, so to speak, is gone. And you can see the acting by Jorma um, with the tear coming down his one eye and as he's as he's interacting with his son, with Oni. And it's just beautifully done, filmed and acted so well with a lot of stuff not being said. 
that you can just see in his body language. I thought that was, to me, one of the best scenes, that five to ten minute scene of those two eating gingerbread. What do you think? Yeah, and I feel like Alistair, because you've stolen my favorite scene as well, <laughs> like you two always do on Hammerava. <laughs> but no, and here's the thing about it, because just about that time as the father was making gingerbread, I'm thinking, wait a minute, where's the mom? You know, there must be some story here. And then sure enough, the boy says, this is, you know, he, I think the father asks if they're good or something, he goes, just like mom used to make. That's the only thing that's ever said about his mom. We don't know what happened. We just know she's gone. And that's, again, information we don't need. It, our suspicions are kind of confirmed, but not, you know, explicit, explicitly stated. Uh, and then that scene continues. I'll go on because here's the other thing, too. With We are given minimal information, but the boy knows what's going on. He knows what's in that mountain. He's done his research uh, about the truth about Santa Claus is this book he's read. And... So, and he, plus just for no explanation, he's wearing what a helmet and hockey gear and, you know, cause he's like ready to do battle or he's ready to try to survive. And there's no talk about it. He's just wearing it. Uh, but then he asked his father, dad, what if I didn't exist? If I disappeared, you know, he's thinking of what could very well happen, but, and I, you know, he's probably smart enough that he doesn't tell his father cause he knows he won't believe him. You know, I, I, I don't know. But, um, and then there's the whole thing about we are told, and this goes to the Santa Claus I know, you know, naughty or nice, if you're naughty, you get a lump of coal. In this case, if you're naughty, you know, Santa kills you. So he asked his father, you know, do you think I've been a good boy? And uh, that, that whole scene is just amazing. And, and then I like how that ends because his father's kind of been trying to get him to go to bed. And the way he answers the question, have I been a good boy, is all good kids are in bed by now. So that it's kind of funny. It ends the scene with a little bit of a laugh, but it's, it's just brilliant. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I wasn't laughing because I was just it's the father. His emotion was so melancholy. It, it's just, it's almost like he just wanted to be alone. He didn't want his son to, he didn't want his son to see him have an emotional breakdown is the way I took it. Like comes to saying like all, all good boys go to bed you know, a good boy would be in bed now or something like that. And he says another thing, like you said, and it's just so well done between the two. And obviously being that they're related, doesn't always mean that they're going to have chemistry on the screen, but the two of them have chemistry on the screen. And that's just golden. And the director, Jamari Helander? Yeah, I was going to say Jamari Helander. Helander, okay. Well, I'm not sure. He's also the writer. And it's a writer and director. He did all the shorts in this. Um, I, I think he co-wrote it with his brothers and, or the concept came from him and does an excellent job of getting these, these different actors that fit these roles so well. And these are not the Hollywood, all the chiseled good. Like, these are people that you could tell from just looking at them that have lived a hard life. They might not have in real life, they, you know, again, they're actors, but they look the roles. And I think that helps build the world. Yeah. And another relationship is with uh, the boy and his friend. Um, what's his friend's name? Juso, J-U-U-S-O, who is sort of a, a little bit of a troublemaker. I get the impression he's a little bit older. He kind of gives the boy a hard time, but he acts as somebody that the boy can sort of confide with a little bit. Plus, someone who we have seen demonstrated has been naughty and we're pretty sure something's going to happen to him. And I love that scene where the boy is calling all his friends and one by one, he marks them off <laughs> because you put in your head, well, they've been naughty. You're not going to find them tonight. And that was really good. But he, he early on after he's been doing the research shows his friends, the pictures from the book. And he, he said, the Coca-Cola Santa Claus is just a hoax. The real Santa tears children apart. <laughs> I like that. That yeah, Maybe I'm kind of sick. I find that funny as well. I don't know if you found that funny, but it's a dark humor, I think. Yeah, it's a dark humor. And I like the when the boy, Juso, um, says, oh, you're just not. Because first he was playing along, like, oh, really? And he's like, oh, you're crazy. And um, Batardi, you know, Uni played the character so well. He just looks at him like, which is, you can see the way he pursed his lips and the face he gave, like, you just won't believe the truth. 
You're just not going to understand. And it's, it, he doesn't fight him about it. He just realizes there's no point in fighting about arguing about it. He's never going to believe that this threat is out there. And it's just the sadness in his face and the determination, like I have to save everybody and there's nobody that's really helping me. And, and that, that, I enjoyed him because I don't know how old he is. He could be about 10, 12 years old, the actor. Yeah. And I think the other one's supposed to be like a young teenager or preteen. Like 13, I, I think I'm about 13 or 14. And the funny thing is, for American sensibilities, they're both carrying around rifles and that kind of stuff and shotguns, and, and everybody's like, everybody's armed up. So it's a, so for some people, this could this could throw you off. But it's a different culture and a different environment. Yeah, it's only an hour and 24 minutes long, and any American movie would have spent a lot of time on the angst of the kid. It, it would have explained all of these things that we're saying you just sort of know and. Yeah, I wouldn't want one minute more in this movie. It's just perfect the way it is. I wanted to circle back to you mentioned, uh, I don't know what you mentioned, but the, the I assume it's an American and he speaks English that is sort of financing this operation. He knows what's in the mountain and he's hired the crew, you know, to get him out. That is Jonathan Hutchings, who was the narrator of the two short films. And he's got that voice that's just, oh, it's perfect for the short films. And then, he's a good character. He's not in it much, but he's, he's in the movie. And so when the, the, the three men and the boy catch the one father Christmas and they decide they they can hold him for hostage basically. And so they face this man to try to get some money out of him. And this movie has heart because they figured out because of the slaughter of the reindeer that they're going to lose $85,000. And like you said, this is their livelihood in this time of year. And they've somehow put this price on. I think someone asked, well, how much money do you think we've lost because of this? They say 85000 So they take this one Santa. All they ask for is 85000 The one friend goes, no, we need to ask millions. And it's like, no. You know, they're not, they're not trying to gouge anyone. They just want what is fair and what has been taken from them. I just thought that was wonderful. Now, at the end, it kind of switches a little bit. And they say it's 85,000 per Father Christmas. But at that time, it was just the one. And had things worked out better, um, they I think they would have been fine and they would have been happy. Yeah, well, I think the price, what they only knew about the one, so they said 85,000. Well, it's still, they're only charging 85,000 per. So it's not like they True. are gouging people. They set a price and they stuck by it. And uh, it, is a, it is a small, in the movie, it's set up, it's set up in a way where there's only a limited amount. There was like 180 something. It was like 180 ish, um, a little less than 200 um, elves. And I don't know what their reproductive cycle, how these things, <laughs> who knows that that is not explained in the mythos. I don't need a sequel prequel thing that explains the whole life cycle of all these things. Cause it's just, just let it be. It's a, it's a magical, mythical creature, whatever you want to look at it, because it looks like a human, but it's not human. And I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of funny in a way because their commodity is Father Christmas for elves, which they're now going to make Father Christmas. And it's just, it's just really, really weird um, concept. Yeah. Oh, and then there is this underlying current. It's very sad it's very psychological but it's guilt so the boys and his friend have at some point we don't see it they cut a hole in the fence and they're assuming that wolves got in and killed all of the reindeer therefore the boy thinks it's his fault he has guilt for that and therefore he thinks he's been naughty therefore he's afraid for his life because we know that this santa kills bad children and he wrestles with the fact of should he tell his father that he's done that? And of course, his friend says, no, no, you shouldn't. So I don't know. That's like kind of, I think that's a little deeper than I can even wrap my head around right now. But like, you know, I mean, guilt, what it does to kids and the impact of it. And I, I just thought that was another like level to this movie. Well, it's even you can even take it more than that. The father has another thing with guilt with the elf that fell into his wolf trap and which are illegal. And he goes to look in there because all oh, the trap debates gone. So he goes there to think he's going to find the wolf. And what he sees, he thinks is a man, a naked man, 
Well, actually, he's wearing a jacket. He's got a jacket on, um, which he got from somebody he had murdered off screen prior. So he's thinking he did this bad thing, and so he calls his friend over, and they're going to um, get rid of the body, get rid of the evidence, so to speak, because he has a slaughterhouse that's right next to the home. And, uh, of course, the elf is not dead because the elves are, are pretty hard, dang hard. He smells the gingerbread, and they see his nose twitching because he smells the gingerbread. No, I don't think when he first started – when he first started to wake up is when he moved his arm to go to the saw and he moved it back. Well, yeah, it kind of jerked, then but his, his nose started to crinkle when only, um, Petardi came to the window, the closer he got to the building. That's when he started to sniff because he was looking for the window and he was, sniffing, oh, okay. So he was sniffing the boy. So he's like, okay, oh, there's the boy. I, that, that's how I draw it. And the boy, I think also had yeah. ginger, ginger bread on him. So it could be, a double hit, you know, where he, sm- he smelled. Yeah, I don't know where I made that. Yeah, I, later they used gingerbread to sort of lure one, I believe. Uh, and yeah, talk about dark. They are going to saw this body into pieces so that no one finds out that he died in the trap. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's just it's like, oh, this time. And then, of course, he had the thing where he's dealing with the police because Oni sees it. He runs off and he's like, oh, he's going to the police. What is he doing? He's going to say everything. <laughs> and so there's different layers of guilt going on. So there's the guilt that the children feel. There's the guilt that the adults feel. They, they, and all these things happen. So you're right. Guilt is an underlying premise or being naughty, you know, so to speak, happening to all these people. But the humor with the gingerbread and the one guy, when he realizes he's alive and the father goes to get the boy back and he's got the gingerbread and he's eating it. And that's, that's when you're realizing he starts to sniff and he realizes, wait a minute, he's sniffing the gingerbread. He walks over and he realizes he's looking and trying like he wants the gingerbread. And then he starts mumbling something and he's, and I like how this ties in with the short where it says when the guy was feeding him gingerbread one time, they can be very cunning and they'll trick you. <laughs> and I'm like, and so it sets up that whole premise that you get later on. He's just trapping the guy that's there. and But that's how that guy knew about the gingerbread, which later on in the movie is paid off when he's able to get away from this one thing by using gingerbread because he knew the gingerbread is something that they cherished. And I thought that – and the way he acted that whole time, it was just, that was just great. I mean, that, that guy was definitely uh, more of the, com- the the comedy of the movie, the, most of his scenes. Yeah. Um I know we're jumping all around here, but another thing I really liked was at the end. Have we spoiled it enough now that it doesn't matter what I say? I'll just go for it. We're just going to call you Jeff the Spoiler Owens. (laughs) Yes, well, so they they have a plan to destroy this giant Santa Claus or or whatever. And it's a, you kind of want to see... You kind of want to see, but you don't. Like, it's frozen in ice. The ice is starting to melt. I think at one point you sort of see these big eyes behind the ice. But he has these big horns that are sticking out of the ice. And so you see the men come out of uh, the shed or the barn or whatever it is they were in carrying one of the horns. So they were savvy enough to, like, cut off one of the horns to take. I imagine they're going to try to sell it for something. I don't know. And so I was like, wrote my note. Oh, they cut off a horn. Later, when you see the truck driving, there's both horns in the truck. Yeah, they want so, to get the other one. Yeah, I just that is great. Well, because they're hunters and they're used to use you know you want to get everything you can from the thing. And I just thought it was funny because they, they set up all the dynamite, the explosives around the block of ice, and all of a sudden you see both have chainsaws, and you're like, what are they? <laughs> they both charge on. It's like, what are they going to do with chainsaws? The next thing. They cut. There they are carrying one of the horns out. It's like, it's like, oh, yep, they're trying to like, well, we're not going to leave this behind. This is this is a hefty. Nobody's going to believe them unless they have some kind of proof or evidence, and that they can say this was real. So they actually did take some stuff with them, and I thought that was rather clever. But it's gonna, it's the practicality of that. They are always worried. You don't want to waste things because they you don't have a lot of resources, so you have to use all the resources you can. So we've spoiled almost everything, but let's not spoil the like sort of action ending that happens with the helicopter and other, because that's just, that's breathtaking. I mean, the cinematography of that is really good. It's, it's sort of that E.T. moment when E.T. flies on his bike up into the air. It's not as manipulative or, or sappy as that, but it's that moment. It's that, oh, wow moment, you know? 
and for I don't know what their budget was, but the green screen was passable. You know, it was like they definitely it all worked. It it it, it I, I enjoyed it. It gave you that moment. It's not it's the movie came out in 2010, and it's it, it's one of those things that just puts a smile on your face uh, as you see it all happening and all that stuff. So yeah, it was really really good. I mean, overall, it's just it's just an excellent movie. I mean, it's just well done, and I don't know how many people have seen Rare Exports: A Christmas Tale, but you should see it it's 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 like i said it's on Tubi. it's on other streaming services you can easily watch it for nothing and the ads weren't that bad there was the, the ad placement was pretty good and you know where it fell in Tubi. that's why i say Tubi a lot because i like where Tubi puts their ads usually they're able to put them in a nice good spots where it's not interrupting the movie too much and i watched it on hulu so it's it's on several places I, one real quick comment I wanted to make. You mentioned how the shorts weren't really graphic at all. This isn't necessarily graphic either as far as action, but you do see some gory aftermath. What was that? Oh, is that like Ravens 110.9? Oh, well, congratulations. He's doing a happy dance. I took him from watching his football game so that I could watch mine. You're so kind, Steve. Oh, we're editing this part out, so. ah, <laughs> And you should leave it in. The peek behind the curtain. <laughs> but you can anyway, there are some very uh, graphic aftermath scenes. I mean, a field of, what is it, 240 slaughtered reindeer? That's not a pretty sight. That, that's pretty. And also, we talk about how heartwarming and charming it is. Don't think for a minute it's not scary. This is definitely a horrific movie, but it's just got that emotional spine to it. There's two other things I want to bring up. One, I agree exactly with everything you said. The music. My mm, wife, yes. my wife, I was listening to the last few minutes, last five, ten minutes, and my wife came home and um, was hearing the movie. Of course, it's infinite. You know, I don't think they were saying any dialogue at this point. She goes, oh, that music's great. What is this? And it's, oh, it's Rare Exports, a Christmas tale, and it's from Finland. And she just loved the music. This is not a type of movie my wife would ever want to watch. <laughs> but the music is so good throughout the movie. Yeah. And for somebody who's not watching, but she, she picked up that she really enjoyed how it was going. And that, to me, just tells you the movie can stand on its own, but it enhances the movie, but it could also be standalone. And this is something I'm going to check on, see if it's on Spotify or other things where I can just like listen to it periodically. You know, and um, so I'm trying to curious if it's out there because this is something that, that is really good, really well done and enhanced the movie. What did you think about the music? Oh, definitely. I had a note early on. It was after he first built the pit and then he rides on a snowmobile and there's sort of a, a wide shot of him riding the snowmobile over the snow. And I, I'm not making this up. I have in brackets here, good music. <laughs> uh, it's by Jury Seppa and Miska Seppa. Yeah. who uh, might not normally be on your playlist. I don't know. Maybe they are. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But <laughs> like I said, I'm going to try to find them now. But there was something also that for me, when the movie first started, before everything started, it had Oscilloscope, mm-hmm. which is the distributor, the, you know, the independent distributor, which reminded me as soon as I saw it, it's done everything as a total homage to Shaw Scope. And uh, it, oh. and I saw it. I was like, "Oh my lord!" It's just like Shaw's everything. I mean, everything like if you if you watch it, you'll see. I think you could see it on the um, the trailer. If you watch that, I think they show that the oscilloscope thing. If not, it's just it's like the very beginning of the movie. You'll see it, and they also have it at the end. And I just thought that was really good. And I was like, "Oh, oscilloscope!" And the interesting thing with oscilloscope, it's um, independent film company and distributor founded by Adam. Yuck, or Y-A-U-C-H. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. And um, a former Fink film executive, David Finkel. And then when Yuck passed away, Finkel took over the company and then left, and this is the part I thought was interesting, left to shortly go co-found A24. Oh, wow. And, of course, Oscilloscope is still going on with other people running it, but I just thought it was interesting at this time you know, around that time, you have somebody that had their hands, and currently starting A24, had their hands with this movie. And, and again, if they were distributing it. They didn't have any hands in producing it, but they know good stuff when they see it. And it shows, if anybody's an A24 movie fan, 
and they've been churning out stuff in recent years that's just been, you know, wonderful after wonderful after wonderful. Some of them are great thought-provoking movies that A24 comes out with. Some of them will scare you, but I like it that you have that house that's giving this creative force out there. And, it, and I just wanted to get, I thought that was interesting when I did that little background research and I saw that connection. I was just like, oh, that is interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, this is, would totally be an A24 movie if it was released today. Do you, have you heard of or seen any of the other movies that this director, Jalmari Hellander, has made? Big Game with Samuel You've Jackson. Seen it? Yeah, a, long, a while back. Samuel Jackson or not? I think so. I think he plays the president, doesn't he? Well, maybe. Well, I was going to say, I, I haven't seen any of these, but you read the plots, and the plots are all, or the synopses, are all terrific ideas with sort of a little catch that makes me want to see them. Uh, the, the first movie he made after this, it, I don't know the English name, it's the Minan Pasara or something. A man is trapped inside a phone booth where the water level is rising. The phone rings. All the man has to do is say, I love you. That sounds like, to me, a very interesting movie. I want to see that. A big game, I, I didn't realize Samuel Jackson, but a young teenager camping in the woods helped rescue the president of the United States when Air Force One is shot down near his campsite. And it's Samuel Jackson. And, and guess who the teenager is? Oh, I don't know. Ani Tomela. The boy. Ah. He's in that. And he, and also the director is his uncle. Wow. And he said he when he did well, Big I, Game, he, he kind of wrote the role for him to be in it. And these aren't horror movies. These are like action and adventure. But it's just that very concept, that elevator speech, you know, makes me want to see it. And then even this last one is most recent. He kind of had a gap. But in 2022, he made one called Sisu, S-I-S-U. When an ex-soldier who discovers gold in the Lapland wilderness tries to take the loot into the city, Nazi soldiers led by a brutal SS officer battle him. So I, I'm going to be watching me some Jalmari Hellander movies. I think so, too. I think I'm going to be joining that club with you because when you've seen a director's, two of his works, I mean, I like rare exports better than Big Game. I enjoyed Big Game, uh, but it's, it's like... And the two of his shorts I really enjoyed. So it's basically four things already I like. I can recommend other people to enjoy to varying degrees. This one I highly recommend. Uh, big game I recommend. And but it's some move we could talk about down the road if we ever get that down, you know, in the dice rolls and that kind of stuff. But it's, he's definitely somebody to keep an eye out and definitely watch. He's, he's still young for a director. He's only 46. So, it's you know, he's got a lot of work in the future. I'm sure ahead of him. And um, I, I just, like I said, I like the way he does his work. I like the, the, the cinematography. I like his choices and getting actors for the roles. Uh, he writes the scripts. It seems like on a lot of these things. So it's, it's, I like it. It's, it's almost like when you have that singer songwriter type, when you got a director writer and he, and he knows at 82 minutes or 84 minutes or whatever, it kept this baby humming. Because some people, when they write and direct their own things, you know as well as I do, they'll bloat it, and they lose the pace. And I love it when you get somebody that's more like a James Ware, or or in, in his case, where they they like they, they edit things and keep that pace there, pace, pace, pace. So that way you don't have those long pauses. Because this movie does build the tension up, does ratchet up the the backstory, and I love it when it builds. And then it has the payoff. And I think it's got a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes when I looked it up. So it's with the critics. The critics loved it, you know. So it was just one of those movies that not only you and I love, but the critics loved, and a lot, I think a lot of other people enjoy it too. Yeah, and I do think it's worth noting that the, the director, Jamari Hellander, came from commercials. He was a commercial maker in Finland, and his production company, I think it was called Woodpecker Films, and – I mean, some of the best movies we've had over the years are commercials. I mean, what they do in 30 seconds or a minute is just amazing. So I think it's got that kind of a attitude about it. You know, it's like efficient, it's impactful. So uh, that that's his background. And he actually, he approached a producer in 2007 about possibly making uh, a, a feature film based on the two short films. And that's how it came into being. But uh, I hope he's not making commercials anymore because he's got a career as a film full length filmmaker for sure. Well, I don't mind if he still makes commercials. I know there's a lot of directors that still do commercials that do that have well, that have had some fame because 
I think if you go where the creative flows are, and if you have an, if you, and Hey, it's a paycheck <laughs> and True. and it helps you keep, it keeps you in that time frame. Okay. I got 45 seconds. I got a minute. I got 30 seconds. How can I do this? And I think that helps them overall when they go to the big picture that they're still used to using the things for the smaller bite size portions. So I think stay, whatever, whatever's working for you, keep it up because it is working well for him. Now, one thing, do you have anything else you want to say about the movie before I segue to this other movie? I don't think so. I, I just been so appreciative that I watched it again and that $30 is sounding less and less bad <laughs> the more we talk about it. So it's probably going on. Maybe it'll go on my Christmas list. We'll see. Well, well hopefully, you know, it's, it's one of those things I'm looking forward to getting too. Like I said, it, and we'll see. We'll, we'll we'll see what makes me pull the trigger. Um, and same thing yep. with you. Now, listeners, originally, Jeff and I, when we did, I married a witch for Derek. We recorded that before Thanksgiving, and we discovered that Veronica Lake did a movie called Flesh Feast. And Flesh Feast. No, no, sure. I said it made it sound like a beast, but Flesh Feast. And of course, you know, we're thinking Thanksgiving, everybody's going to be feasting. Oh, this would be a great movie to record and talk about. We were going to record it after Thanksgiving, you know, right after we had our turkey and all the other stuff, the trimmings, whatever you want to, you know, do. And then Jeff and I watched the movie. And <laughs> we didn't record that one because I think we're going to explain now. Jeff, what were your thoughts about Flesh Feast with Veronica Lake, her last movie in 1970? Well, I prefer the way that you describe it. You put such emotion into it. I, I will say it is not by any means a good movie. What, what were your words? What did you tell me earlier? And use the same emphasis that you used. <laughs> well, I'm trying to remember now what I said earlier. <laughs> well, you said it was a bad movie, but the emotion and the feeling you put into it was just uh, impressive. <laughs> oh, it, it's, it's a bad, bad <laughs> There you movie. go. But uh, I was thinking... Thanksgiving, we know, is a turkey. This was a turkey of a movie. I mean, it's the only good performance in it was Veronica Licks. That well, the only you don't have much to compare it with. I mean, sure, within the confines of the movie, it was the best performance. I don't know that. The script uh, is terrible. The directing was terrible. The acting overall of the whole movie was terrible. The editing was, I don't know. I think the editor was just drunk or something. I mean, this... It, Basically, we didn't record an episode because it would be us talking for a half hour, 40 minutes, just totally going dog down, like down, clubbing down, whatever, killing this movie, which is not good. Not good. Not good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I ended up writing, I ended up writing about it on my blog because I wanted to tie into the Monster Kid Radio and create some synchronicity, you know, some tie in, some back and forth, you know, make it a whole big package deal. So I did, but I really tried to not review the film itself because it is so bad. But the main thing that I thought when watching it was how in the world did someone like Veronica Lake end up in this movie? There has to be some story there. And granted, Veronica Lake was kind of a, a shooting star that fell really, really fast. And, you know, a lot of, of things happened to put her in not a great situation. But, you know, here it is what, 30 years or so after I married a witch and she shows up in this movie flesh feast and I couldn't find anything about the making of it, why it was made, how it came to be all that. And I thought just on a lark, well, sometimes if you find a person's biography or autobiography, you get some information. I thought, well, just for grins, you know, I'm going to try. So sure enough, I got Veronica, the autobiography of Veronica Lake in, uh, on Kindle. It was written in 1969. Now, this movie was released in 70, so I knew the chances of it being mentioned were very slim. Well, turns out it was really made, I think, in 67. So it was indeed mentioned. Uh, that and a, another movie she made, Footsteps in the Snow, she talked quite a bit about. So what I wrote about was more of that, how it came to be, why she did it. And um, that, to me, is more interesting than the movie itself. I will say the movie does have an interesting twist. I don't want to share the twist with any listener. Don't read it on Wikipedia because the Wikipedia spoils the twist. That's the only thing it's got going for it besides Veronica Lake. But when she, when she turns that maniacal turn, she owns it. I mean, she knew the dialogue and she went with it. 
in her best Vincent Price type of interpretation. <laughs> and, and and if you like Vincent Price, when she gets to the maniacal turn, it's priceless. <laughs> yes, I do admit I did call that out because, you know, if you don't stick through the boring, talky, confusing parts, you don't get to that. And that is, you know, the best payoff it has is her explosion of emotion and built up whatever she's been harboring for years. I will say too, on that twist, every synopsis you read gives away the twist. And, you know, generally I don't like that. It's okay. I understand. But the thing is, that's all this movie has, and it doesn't happen till the very end. So to know that ahead of time, you're expecting it, you're watching it. And then when it like doesn't come, you're like, is this the same movie? And so I really am disappointed that that's how, that I knew that ahead of time. This, in different hands, would be a terrific Twilight Zone episode. You know, it's, you know, it's far, it's no more far-fetched than any number of the horror movies. But the, the execution of it just makes it so dull. And then it's got a good twist, and then that sort of has a little double twist. So on paper, it's a fun idea. The execution is just horrible. And, and that's why I don't like it as much as I do, because it could have been something. I mean, it, couldn't, it wouldn't have been great, but it could have been something special, something that, you know, like you said, if it was 45 minutes to put in, boom, 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 did its thing. We talked about this off the air about how, it could have been improved in different ways that we thought about like in, in writing and shooting and that kind of stuff, which I don't want to do. Cause if we do, if you now listeners were spoiling the movie and how it goes. And if you really want to watch it, it is out there. It's on YouTube. It is not the greatest quality of a version. I don't know if it's ever going to get a great quality. Of course, having said that, no, am I lucky to be on Blu-ray next year? <laughs> <laughs> the Veronica Lake box set. They'll be sure to include that. If you want to watch a Veronica Lake movie, we both highly recommend I Married a Witch. It's wonderful. It's on HBO Max, or you can go get the Criterion version. Um, you can wait for it when it does do, 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 do sales do twice a year where you can get it 50% off, and that way you can really enjoy a well-made, well-acted, and highly enjoyable movie. Or you can go watch Flesh Feast for free, <laughs> <laughs> and you get what you pay for yeah, and the thing is, I mentioned what Veronica Lake said about it. It's like there's no illusion here that this was going to be anything great. I think initially she was excited about doing it, but then she points out exactly the problems that this movie had and, you know, budget issues and, and this and that and the un, you know, the untalented director, whatever. There's So it's very interesting what little she said says a lot about this movie and why it it turned out the way it did. And I just have to add also that you may have heard of this director before, Brad Grinzer. He made a movie that's well better known, but, and I've never seen it, but I don't believe it's probably any better. This called blood freak from 1972. And this is talk about a Thanksgiving Turkey. I believe there is a Turkey monster in it. So, um, he did go on <laughs> in a sense to do bigger and better things, from uh, Flesh Feast to Blood Freak. So, and, and by the way, I paused there because Flesh Feast is a great title. You know, that's, um, I'd see that knowing nothing about it. Yeah, it takes a long time for it to make you, I, mean, it, I think Flesh Feast is a great title for a cannibal movie, or <laughs> a, a zombie movie. <laughs> I don't know if it really works for this movie, but it is a great title, but it doesn't match, the movie doesn't match the title, but I, I agree with you. It is a lovely, it'd be a lovely short story title, book title, whatever. It, it has something there. And speaking of writing, you brought up how you wrote about this. Where can people, you have this blog that is wonderful that you keep going on that you talk about. Where can people, listeners go to, to find this blog? And you have tons of movies that you've done wonderful reviews. They're, they're sometimes humorous, and you usually rate them. I like, especially when you put the little 
um, pictures of how many monsters or whatever you're using as the thing on a 10 scale going through. Um, I, I think for rare exports, for listeners wondering, uh, going on the 10 scale, I would give it a eight and a half out of 10. I think I really enjoyed it. And Flesh Feast, if you're wondering, I would say <laughs> two, two out of 10. One for the title, the other for Veronica, no, one for the twist, really, not the title, but the twist, and the other one for Veronica Lake, at the two out of 10. <laughs> but where can, where, yeah, where, what's your 10 scale, and then where can people find your blog? Yeah, so the blog is classichorrors.club, and it originally was to end about 1978, you know, classic horrors up through 78, because Halloween was sort of where things changed. But Steve, do you know how long ago 78 was? 1988 is now a, a classic, you know, so I have expanded over the years, but you really won't, you won't find, unfortunately, a rare exports review on this because that is a little too recent, but uh, yeah, that's, that's where it is. Those are the kind of movie reviews that you'll find on there. I, here's to tell you the change I've made. I originally, because I rate everything in IMDb. So when I saw rare exports in 2013, I only gave it a six. So last night, I definitely bumped it to a seven because I thought, yeah, this is better than I thought. I mean, it's at an eight right now. And when you say eight and a half, I'll do you better. I think it's a nine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you win, you win the auction. <laughs> yes. Uh, Flesh Beast, though, I, I'm going to beat you on that, too. I gave it three stars or three possessed children out of ten because that is a 70s movie. And that was at the part of the satanic panic. Well, it's interesting. I don't really consider it a seventies movie because it was all done. It was filmed in the late sixties and it came out true, in the seventies, which also tells you nobody wanted to put it out. <laughs> right. Well, it, it was unfinished at some point, and between the time that the film was shot, Veronica Lake wrote her autobiography, and the movie came out. Something happened because it was sitting on a shelf, unfinished, yet to be released. When Veronica Lake talked about. It. You know what I think happened? And oddly enough, someone found it and put it out without doing anything else to it, it seems. I think what happened is Veronica's Lake's book came out and she was doing a tour around that time. And people were like, oh, she's hot right now or hot as she's ever going to be again. Let's just put it out there. And I think that's probably what got it out was her writing her book <laughs> and got the movie out. Otherwise, it would still probably be on the shelf. Or maybe when she passed away, it probably would have came out then. Because again, people would be talking about her. It's just, you know, it's just the way things work. So, I feel sorry for her that before she passes away, this movie came out. Considering she didn't care for it too much, she probably was thinking at that point that oh, it's not going to come out while she's alive. But alas, it did, and she passed away way too young. Um, and she she did a lot of great movies and a lot of great stuff back in the early forties. And like you said, she was one of those people for a few years. She was like the the it girl. And then you know, that happens to a lot of people. You're it for a while, and then you know, the next thing comes along. And that's what happened with her. Yeah. And at the end of the well, – what a treat we got to talk about that as well. Well, it's a, it's a twofer. You know, it's Christmas. We gave you a bonus gift. This is like – this is like you, the flesh feast was like the thing you find in your the bottom of your stocking. <laughs> right next to the socks. You know – there, if the uh, Father Christmases from Rare Exports catch a naughty child, they don't kill him or tell him apart. They make him watch Flesh Feast. That's what we do nowadays. <laughs> and at the end of at, at the end of this episode, I'm going to be playing the promo for the Classic Cars Club podcast that you and Rich do, and I highly recommend that you both. Like I said earlier, both of you guys do a great job. But there's one other thing I want to ask you to talk about. That's because I love comics, you love comics, but you love a particular comic, DC Comics, or particular publisher, and you have a DC Comics guy? Yeah, so I've got another blog, DC Comics Guy, that is uh, all about, I take a, a character, usually a lesser character, and I just go through their entire run. It, we're pre, you know, we're mid-80s, if you're a comic person, Crisis on Innocent Earths was a big thing. This is mostly stories that take place before that. So I've done Man Bat, who's a favorite character. I've done Eclipso, uh, the period of Wonder Woman when she didn't have powers in the 60s. And right now I am doing Red Tornado, who I always have loved. Don't know why I think it's the costume, uh, but 
that's a particularly uh, chunky one because he's been in so many issues of Justice League of America. So I'm kind of consolidating trying to get through several at one time because I don't want to spend 10 years talking about Red Tornado. But that's just a fun little side thing I do. Every Wednesday, new comic book day, you have a new post on DC Comics, guys. Thank you for asking about that. Oh, I like it. I like following it. You know, and you're on Twitter and Facebook, so people can find it out there. You know, you can follow the DC Comics guy on Twitter, and you'll know when the next thing comes on. You can click the link and go right to it. Um, so it's easy to follow, easy to find, and that's the key thing. And I want to thank you, Jeff, for taking time to talk about Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale, and the two short stories, and a bonus Flesh Feast. So listeners, you got four different films, two shorts, one great movie, and one movie that couldn't be short enough, Flesh Feast, <laughs> for one episode. Yeah. I mean, this is this is like a Christmas extravaganza, and it cost you absolutely nothing. Yeah, I was going to say more bang for your buck, but uh, didn't really pay a buck. So, fantastic. And thank you for asking me. I always love to be on here and chat with you about such things. Well, thank you. And the listeners don't forget his episode number 75 came out classic cars club podcast. Go listen to that Val Luden, the leopard man and curse of the cat. So yes. we're talking about that doing their deep dive. And also you can follow their smaller segment on YouTube. Yep. Do a little video companion of quote highlights and bonus features, things you don't hear in the podcast. And Jeff, if I don't, talk to you until then you have a merry christmas enjoy yourself with your family and everything and have a happy new year i'm sure we'll probably talk prior to that but just in case we covered our bases and i hope you would assuming you're going to spend time with your daughter and friends and family up in minnesota so just enjoy yourself and have fun thank you you too hi i'm jeff owens and i'm richard chamberlain and we want you to join our club the Classic Horrors Club. Every month, Richard and I host the Classic Horrors Club podcast, where we talk about our favorite subject, horror movies. Some of them are classics. We all go a little mad sometimes. And some definitely aren't. What you see is real. What's done is done, and what I've done is right. It's the work of science. But we love them all the same. We also have special theme months where we highlight the legendary stars. And we head to the drive-ins of the past every summer for exciting double and triple features. Hi, I'm Chili Dilly, the personality pickle. And we even have occasional guests. My obsession, and it is truly an obsession, I suppose, of Frankenstein the True Story dates back to when it first aired in two parts on NBC in 1973. So join the fun and listen to the Classic Horrors Club podcast today. Hosted by SoundCloud, we're available wherever fine podcasts are found. And for even more fun, check out the video companion on our YouTube channel. And remember, we sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment.